0: buddy, welcome, welcome to Wednesday night. Getting over that hump, sometimes hump day is the hardest day. Anyway, I'm happy to see that some of you are still alive from the emergency broadcast systems test today. I know that three quarters of the audience is dead which is very sad, very sad to hear that three quarters of the audience is now dead. Took a lot of people out. That's the big headlines right now. But for those of us who survived, we're here on a very, very cool, crisp October 4th evening. It is 2023 and we've got a great guest here with me. His name is Will. And the brand is incredible. Histories on uh, Twitter's on um, Instagram, and he's got a new book out, which is just packed full of the types of things that people in this audience really love, including myself, which is why we're really going to be doing it. So um, yeah, I look look. The, everybody in the chat room who's left over are all mourning. Three quarters dead. Uh, the other fourth. The other uh, one fourth is. It's mostly zombies we are really just the last it's the it's the last of us right now so huddle close ladies and gentlemen and and take take comfort in some at least some comfort in the fact that at least we are here together all right so um yeah that's what we got going on tonight will from incredible history great stuff great stuff, and I'm going to get a little bit more into him in just a little bit. I, I also want to say, and I'll I'll say it again at some po- point tonight, tomorrow night, we have Kim Russo on with us. She's a very well-known psychic medium, and boy, do I have a lot of things to ask. Got a lot of things to ask. You know, we talk to astrologers from time to time, what's going on in the stars, what kind of, uh, what does that say uh, about uh, past happenings in history, but this is something different because... I want to know exactly, with all of the remote viewing we do and things like that, the after-death communication we've been talking about lately, uh, the uh, discourse about the afterlife, and, and then of course the fact that we're bubbling towards something, rumbling, roiling, boiling towards something right now. And I just want to know if there is anybody who's got anything really, really substantial on their radar. It can go anywhere tomorrow night. I'm very interested in talking to people like this. But I have a a topic that has been stuck to the top of the forum on quitefrankly.tv that I'd like to uh, call your attention to briefly, and that is, have you ever experienced an after-death communication from a loved one? That is a little bit of a topic that was coming in at the tail end of the show with Dr. Eben Alexander. We got a few of them in, but of course there's just so much more to explore. And since we cut that off short, figured, hey, well, th- this is a good way of incorporating that into another uh, another uh, show, another format that is actually closely related and can still work. So get over to Quite TV, jump into the forum tab above, and if you haven't registered, it's free. All you need is an email address and get into that. Get into that thread. It'd be great to have you there. Okay, so what else do we have? I think I did this. I did that. That's great. Friday night will be just as well. Jay Golinello here with with Matt. And then it's all for the weekend. Well, into the grab bag we go. And the first one up is uh, a blank screen. It's Kevin Spacey. He was rushed to the hospital fearing a heart attack at a film festival after going numb in one arm. You know, you can have... I'm not gonna say anything. But a lot of things can break your way mysteriously. And you just still can't predict the human heart. Which is scary enough, that that goes for everybody. Anyhow, what is this? Kevin Spacey was rushed to the hospital fearing a heart attack after his arm went numb while he was attending a film festival. I wonder if that was his um, his dominant arm, if you know what I mean. The Oscar-winning actor, 64, underwent an MRI scan after the scare during the 15th Tashkent International Film Festival in Uzbekistan. Star-studded event? And um, they said he was, I think, I guess he's all right. They found no problem with his heart. It was just a normal numbing of the arm. Everything was normal. Arm just went numb for the hell of it. So there's Kevin Spacey news. All right, here's another one that you might have seen. But we talked about this uh, months ago, what was going on with Kat Von D. That she had gotten rid of all of her books on witchcraft and the occult and magic. And she was becoming a Christian. Kat Von D, very famous tattoo artist former tattoo artist Kat Von D has been baptized now a year after making dramatic lifestyle changes that included throwing out all of her books on witchcraft and the macabre taking to Instagram Von D posted a video showing her baptism captioning it with the cross quote Catherine Von Drakenberg I hope that's what you say upon your profession of the Lord jesus christ in the obedience to his divine command i baptize you my sister in the name of the father and the son of the holy spirit the pastor said before submerging her into the water von d is seen wearing a white robe now what's crazy about it is i was watching this and we watched a little bit of the it uh, this morning on the uh, the morning show this is something we talked about on this show before though too uh it looked like most of the people in the church there were like goths ex goth was it uh, a a congregation of reformed gothic um I, I i don't know but if this is as as um authentic a turnaround and a conversion as she says it is i feel really good for her and that's that some good news there's some good news on the table now as far as tables and desks and everything else Nancy Pelosi, this is something that we heard about last night, right after I got off the air is when I saw all the news that we had missed during the show, but it was too good of a show. I'm still getting amazing, amazing feedback from last night's show on the NPC phenomenon. Uh, It's one of those topics that is going to be very, very useful going into the future. It's a great tool um, to be able to uh, assist you in evaluating the behavior of people around you. Really, really awesome show last night. And then I heard about Nancy Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi apparently has not fully moved out of the speaker's office area, whatever, since getting the hell out of there earlier on in the year. And we saw this afterwards, acting speaker takes action against Nancy Pelosi, ordering her to give up privileged capital office. This is from World Net Daily. You probably found it somewhere else. Uh, Ex-House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who lost the post when the GOP took majority in the US House last election, has been ordered out of a privileged office in the Capitol. Many members of Congress have offices not in the Capitol, but in adjacent office complexes. But Pelosi, a Democrat, was allowed to remain in the privileged location when the Republican majority took over. Now, however, she's been told to vacate by acting House Speaker Patrick McHenry, a Republican from North Carolina. Daily Kohler News Foundation reported the move came via email just after eight Republicans voted to remove House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Uh, Please vacate the space tomorrow. The room will be rekeyed. An email from the House Administration Committee to Pelosi staff said, according to a report. Now, uh, apparently, because Pelosi is off um, giving, you know, performing some kind of a sacrifice for, in the honor of uh, Diane Feinstein. I think it was Hakeem Jeffries staff was going out there and you know just going out to her office and just throwing things into bags and pulling it all out and I'm thinking I'm saying to myself you know this what the hell is going on that this is the first time this is reported now when it was first starting to get out they're saying that Pelosi was actually in the speaker's office her same office as before but then it's saying it's just it's privileged space next to it or whatever that is still abnormal for people to be there especially once power has changed and you know that the same concessions would not be made if it were the other way around okay you'd have to you'd have to purge it would be there would be a they would bring in the people with the sage the sage brush and they'd be burning incense and all that stuff to get all the neo-nazi uh aura in the air out if a republican were in there um, but still it's just crazy how this made news just now because i haven't heard anything about it and that's not even anything really that you can throw at kevin mccarthy yeah everybody must have known that she was in there so anyway it must smell like vodka in that place don't light a match in that room whatever you do do not light a match in that room everything must be soaked all right, what else do we have? Oh, Ukraine! I heard that Ukraine is freaking. Out. This is from Raw's alerts and all over the place. I guess you don't even need a headline for this. Ukraine, that is the collective war machine. That is Ukraine, is freaking out as Kevin McCarthy chaos threatens U.S. aid, as Politico EU reports. Oh well. Oh well. I hope. I. I, and I really hope that the uh, they turn off the spigot, and it's over. So, and one more thing I just want to throw out to people, this is something that I think goes right hand in hand with what was going on last night. And it's again, one of those stories that I always see going on when they come in and out of the news cycle. And sometimes I'm tempted tempted to talk about it, but other times I just say, no, I want to spare myself. There was uh, a few far left Antifa level activists recently that were killed. Uh, one in Brooklyn. His name is Ryan Carson. He was murdered. It was all caught on street camera. Just stabbed randomly by a uh, a vagrant. Stabbed randomly, and I'm I'm wondering myself. Okay, well, is the girlfriend or whoever he was with that night who was another Marxist? I, she, she's uh, had, there's a video of her or a picture of her going around where she's taking a picture next to her Volvo. Um, and on the license plate it says k marks so Carl uh, Marks, they're all they're all in it together and again their minds are gone anyway he was knifed to death right in front of her obviously it's a it's a it's a shocking moment so I I'm not I don't watch her you know very weird uh, I would say unenthusiastic response to everything I can imagine she's shocked that she just saw somebody knifed to death at first she thought that maybe he wasn't killed, or it wasn't that serious a wound, but he was knifed to death, and um, and now I wondered, was she going to make the statement about the murderer? Who was going to make the statement about the murderer being a victim themselves, and and don't cast aspersions, and don't make blanket statements, and all that other stuff? The, the, the shit that we see going on all throughout the U.S., all throughout Europe, whenever there is some kind of a I don't know what should we say how should we say this some kind of a crime that's committed by a protected class and there's a number of protected classes and we know what it's all about well it wasn't the girlfriend or whoever the hell she was but it were was a um, a collection of friends friends of this is from the post-millennial Friends of Ryan Carson, who was stabbed to death early Monday morning at a Bedford-Stuyvesant, Brooklyn bus stop, 4 o'clock in the morning, that's number one. 4 o'clock in the morning, you're out of your house in Brooklyn, just hanging out in the streets? And then to interact at all with a crazed maniac that you saw kicking cars and all that shit, and that he, you're going to have him turn his his crazed stare at you? Well, so, you know, there's, there, this is like the people who go and they put their backpacks on and say, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to backpack across the Middle East to show you all that it's safe as ever. And then of course they come home without a head, but same thing over here, uh, friends of Ryan Carson, but say Carson would have sympathy for the man who fatally attacked him and that he would want his killing to be used to further left-wing policies in the city. Here's a quote. I know he would have wanted people to use his death as a means to talk about the structural wrongs in the city. The structural wrongs. People can do whatever the hell they want. At least some people can. Well, Melissa Lozada Olivia, a writer who met Carson through mutual friends, told The Gothamist. New York State Assembly member. Emily Gallagher told the outlet I'm af- absolutely positive that he would immediately see that this was a person who was suffering from a lack of resources need more resources quick get him a motor scooter so he can knife he can knife people as he's uh, riding through the streets he can do it more who probably needs better mental health support Yeah, yeah he needs four padded walls never to be let out again But you're not going to get that possibly housing yeah an insane asylum possibly drug support when you see when people like assembly member emily gallagher say drug support she means a a clean crack pipe and a trustworthy source of more drugs and then drug treatment which again means more drugs just from us see now this is what you get from people who have nothing left in their minds. They have been completely demoralized. Now, had he been killed by one of those fabled neo-Nazis, would there be any reverence whatsoever for the animal killer's origin story or what might be going on? And no, and case settled. That's what it all comes down to. To these people, the biggest threat to the city and to people are the police. And that encapsulates the NPC phenomenon. That's why I wanted to bring it up tonight. Because once demoralization is complete, as we were reading over last night, no true information will ever move them, ever. No revelation, not even the loss of their own lives, okay? So don't expect anybody in positions of influence, especially in in this area, in politics, local politics, regional, national, global, don't expect any of them to care for your life in any legitimate way, shape, or form okay you are more expendable than they already have been trained to see themselves think about what i just said there they they have been conditioned to see themselves as expendable you even more so all right if they don't even prioritize their own livelihoods their own lives their own health then they don't you you know that out of spite they're gonna hate you more so that's what I had to say there, and I'll, I'll leave you with a, uh, the George uh, Gurdjieff quote that I put in the thumbnail from last night. He was a philosopher from Armenia in the early 20th century. He said, a considerable percentage of the people we meet in the street are people who are empty inside, that is, they are actually already dead. It is fortunate for us that we do not see and do not know it. If we knew what number of people are actually dead and what number of people... And and what number of these people govern our lives, we should go mad with horror. And we just read, we just read little bits of something. You want to call that a eulogy? You want to call that as some kind of, I don't know, little responses from people who do govern our lives, at least in local sense. And they're always thinking about how to expand that power. So say a prayer for everybody, everybody in this situation. I think that's what John Paul Rice is really getting around to. That's that's all that there's, there's left here. That's all that's really left. Got a lot of people calling in uh, and leaving me messages and stuff about his call in particular last night. So if you missed last night's episode, go and catch up. Because I'm sure that as we head into 2024, it's going to be very, very profound stuff to reach back to and reference. All right, with that, we'll be right back. We've got a wonderful guest showing up in a mere couple of minutes. I want to set the table for him right quick don't go nowhere
1: you let one ant stand up to us then they all might stand up those puny little ants outnumber us a 100 to 1. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride!
0: Hey okay, ladies and gents, welcome to the show. It's October after all, that's where we're getting comfy cozy as we usually do. I try to do this all year round, but there's just something about the sun already being down. You know what I mean? It's 7 15 right now and you look out that window and you know it's nighttime. So I always have the same approach to this show. Because I want to recreate that feeling Especially on our The best I can do on a On a summer night It's like a rainy night That's when you know That it's going to be dark Cloudy and rainy You can get some atmosphere there But man Once we hit late September Early October Oh it's on It's on So that's what we have tonight Really welcome to the show again And uh, please help me share this out With everybody you know And let me tell you a little bit About our guest tonight His name is Will and you might be subscribed to him on Instagram, on YouTube, on Twitter. Will, from incredible history, he's traveled all around the United States and Mexico in search of answers, like we all are, to many of his burning curiosities regarding legends, lore, oddities, and controversial history of North America. Now, there's a lot there, especially North America. He's been all throughout um U.S. and Mexico, so that's where a lot of this is going to be focused. I will ask some questions that will maybe... I don't know. Uh, I, I want to get his opinions about how this may link to other parts of the world because there's so much to be said about how much of this is actually interconnected and how much of a worldwide network of civilizations may have existed in the distant past. And how far into the past can we really actually reach? That's the big thing there. Anyway, his collective adventures helped compile the materials of his book that just came out. It's called Enigmatic North America Legends, Oddities, and Controversial History, which covers topics that range from unexplained ancient history all the way to the UFO phenomenon. We covered the NPC phenomenon last night, which is pretty much like UFOs, but people walking around on, uh, on flat ground. Anyway, welcome to the show, Will. It's so great to have you on, man.
2: Hey Frank, thanks for having me here. I appreciate it. Oh, well. I'm a fan of the show. Ever since you uh, introduced yourself, I've been tuning in here and there, and I really like the show. It's, it's a lot of fun. Well, thanks I'm, for having gl-
0: me. I'm glad, man. I'm glad. You know, I, I, I ordered your book. I want to just let you know. I ordered your book um, not too long ago. I, I can't wait for it to get in because tonight, as we look, pick through this, it's just that the, the chapter listings alone, man, they're screaming at me. And I mean, I just can't wait to I can't wait to jump through. So let me just ask you this: You spent three years going through the United States, uh, Mexico. So you got a bit of Central and North America going on there. Did you ever dip into uh, into Canada at all? H- how much of North America, just right there? I mean, there's enough in the U.S.
2: Yeah, I didn't, and I kind of talk about this a little bit in the forward that, like, unfortunately, I was unable to get to Canada because there's some cool stuff up there. But those lockdowns, you know, Canada was tripping. I mean, the United States was, too. We were all tripping. But, like, I couldn't make it to Canada due to their COVID travel restrictions uh, specifically. So uh, we'll get up there one of these days, hopefully. Well, um, well let me ask you this, then. Um,
0: if you are you, – three years ago, is this – did you know I'm starting a very specific journey – I have these places I want to hit up, and this is all going to be for a book I want to compile all my experiences into. Or is this something that just developed over time?
2: Yeah, no, not at all. it's developed over time. Basically, I'll t- I'll tell you the story. So, COVID hits, and I'd been out in Hawaii um, teaching. I'm a teacher. I teach history, I teach government, economics are my three things that I teach. And um, so, I kind of saw the writing on the wall. And I was like, ah, I'm going to try to get back to the mainland and teach out there. You know, I thought Hawaii was going to, you know, be kind of heavy with the restrictions. So that summer, you know, as teachers get our summer breaks off, I was actually out in Denver, Colorado, and they were trying to lock us down longer than they said they were going to originally. And I said, no, not going to do that. Uh, we started getting STEMI checks. You know and i spent half of it on bitcoin and the other half on a drone (laughs) and uh, went out to the american southwest new mexico southwest colorado basically the four corners area and just started flying over um archaeological sites and just checking stuff out and started realizing i had a lot of good footage and this is areas that i'd always been interested in uh chimney rock colorado in particular hopefully we can maybe talk about that there's like uh Some interesting archaeoastronomy going on out there that I'd always been interested in. For those that don't know what archaeoastronomy is, ancient people um, all over the world, but in North America as well, were intentionally building their structures and putting their petroglyphs in places where, on the summer solstice, or the winter uh, solstice, or the spring or fall equinox sunrises are illuminating these things in perfect ways the moon is rising between pillars right where you can see these things intentionally right it was like their landscape calendar Hmm. and um so i was going out there and capturing a lot of that stuff and I was like you know what i'll start a youtube channel um once i start you know gathering enough footage it'll just be fun it'll be a little passion project and it still is you know Um, But I went out to the southeast after that, to all the mounds. I went and filmed Serpent Mound on the summer solstice and watched the perfect alignment. For those that don't know what Serpent Mound is, actually, let me just change my background real quick. Serpent Mound has this incredible alignment out there in Ohio. Um, Here's the serpent from above. I took this with my drone. and. Uh, you know, so I was just going out there and capturing these incredible sunsets that are aligning perfectly, like with the jaws of the serpent right here. Um, you can read about this in Graham Hancock's book, America before it came out around that time. And I was reading that. So really I was just kind of out there in the desert, kind of just trying to like escape the whole COVID situation. Um, I wasn't trying to be in a city. I wasn't afraid of like, I was mainly concerned with the people and how people were reacting, you know, to it. So I was just out there having fun, and then I started going to Mexico um, on my breaks, and I'd go out there and investigate weird sites that I'd heard about and started realizing that I had some incredible footage of areas that, you know, people hadn't ever even heard of. There's a place called Huey Tlaco maybe we can talk about. Well,
0: Will, let me ask you this. So you said you're a teacher. You, you have your government teacher. um as far as archaeology goes as you're starting to go out there and you're starting to just say hey, I, there are these places I want to see you know it's some people you don't have to be skilled or anything like that and in, in a, a certain discipline of study to know okay. that there's geographically there's just so much out there to see once you start collecting this stuff um, when did your interest to go deeper in actually understanding the archaeological aspects of things and the the ancient history, um, the cultural aspects of things really start to grow?
2: So I'm reading a lot of these books as I'm go, as I'm you know even before this for years i've read books graham hancock's a big one you know i know he's a controversial figure and i actually don't agree with everything he has to say but who does agree with everything anyone has to say i love him i I love his imagination i love the idea that there was um a cyclical like human reset that atlantis was real maybe it wasn't as mythical or advanced as people think it was but and maybe it was i don't know but just the the idea that there was a group of people that we have forgot about due to some cataclysmic event that sent humanity to their knees and that we've like basically been like reshuffling the cards since then and trying to like figure this out. Uh, it kind of makes sense to me, you know, the stories from the Bible, the Hindu uh, texts, I don't really know. That's a good question. Like, I don't know what it exactly was. It's just a culmination of things. And yeah. And eventually I was just like, you know, I think I got a lot of footage here and a lot of stories to tell, like my own journey. I had some pretty intrepid travel journeys down there and in America. And I was like, all right, I'm going to do a book. It'll be fun. Um, You know, we'll see how it goes. It's my first time uh, writing a book. Like I don't identify as like an author or anything, but I I decided to put it out there. And then on my YouTube channel, quick uh, plug, if you don't mind, I'm actually each chapter, I'm doing an episode. So if you can't afford the book, go to my YouTube channel. I think I'm on episode seven. We'll be dropping next week. Ancient Chinese petroglyphs in America. (laughs) That's a pretty controversial one. Oh, yeah. Uh, And uh, um, by January, maybe February, I should have all 23 chapters out on my YouTube. You can just binge watch those. You know, if you want to throw me a bone by buying the book later, that's cool. If not, just, you know, enjoy the the show because I'm doing each chapter as an episode on YouTube for free.
0: That is incredible. And what I'll do is I'll, I'll grab all of those and we'll do marathons on quite frankly, network too, after the show, after we go live, uh, at at nine o'clock when the show ends, we usually do after hours programming on the website. So I can start doing little marathons of your, your stuff there too, especially after tonight is, uh, is all behind us, and, and I would love to have you back because I'm looking at the table of contents again of your book, and there's no way in hell we could ever talk about all this in one night. This was, this was a series of talks. Chapter one is the Montana Megaliths and the Stone Nubs, natural or man-made? Now, we had Michael Collins of Wandering Wolf on the show a couple of months ago. He's actually going to be in studio on Tuesday, and and this is exactly the, the subject that, I, uh, th- that he was talking about when I found him. So as far as the sage wall goes over there in Montana, now I, I, we've had uh, we've had people on that talk that have um, have made you know very very confident statements that this is natural. It is not man-made. Of course, the all of the seams and the cuts and the the polygonal shapes of this stuff it, it looks incredible. I don't know how it could be natural, but then again, I'm not a geologist. And, uh, and then, of course, there is this other thing there I'd love for you to talk about is the stone nub mystery. All of these rocks out there have these nubs. They're either indentations or they're like protrusions that people ha- are, are, are always debating out whether or not this was done for, you know, the, there's just a change in, in weather and, you know, it's glacial. Or was it the mark of some ancient tool work? So what do you think about that since we're going to be talk- we're talking about the ancient America?
2: yeah that's chapter one shout out to michael collins at Wondering wolf productions he just announced that he's going to be having a baby soon that's awesome Absolutely. he's become a friend of mine uh throughout this whole thing and he was like pivotal for that um chapter one so i was actually going to do 22 chapters i was like you know let's ready to let's publish this thing and then i heard about i'd watched michael's videos on the montana Megalith, and was like okay that's cool you know it was like in the back of my head you can't do everything right you can't do all the and so, and then right before I'm about to publish, Joe Rogan retweets Michael, which was so awesome. And I really look into it. Like I look into it again and I for the first time saw the three nubs that were aligned in a row. And I'll tell you all what nubs are for in a minute. If like people don't know what those are. So I decided, okay, I'm going to Montana. I like literally put on my cowboy hat from Kansas, but I like played cowboy in Montana for the week Hell yeah! <laughs> and went out there and car camped and like found these spots and Michael Collins actually saved me from like a disaster. I was about to experience some heat stroke on a mountain. I was lost looking for the Tizer Dolman and uh, Michael somehow got through on some cell phone service and I was so happy to hear from him. But anyways, yes, this one is really interesting. And when I laid eyes on it, just like you all, like look at this thing, it looks similar to Sacsayhuaman in Peru. And then my favorite one, to be honest with you, the Sage Wall is cool. But my favorite one's really the Tizer Dolman, um, Tizer Dolman right here. You know, who put that up? There's the question a lot of people ask, and it does just look incredible. It looks like it's not exactly a Dolman, a Dolman has like makes contact on three sides, but it looks like somebody put that up there now. Um, part of my mission when going up there was to hear both sides of the story. And I did talk to geologists and I got to tell you, um, i'm trying to remain agnostic on everything but he gave me a genuine explanation for why it is natural and i can try to explain that if uh, if you'd like i could also tell your viewers a little bit about the nubs if they i don't know which direction you'd like to meet, you go to because there's a lot going on with the montana megaliths.
0: well i mean it'd be good to, to hear the, the nutshell understand uh, nutshell explanations of both the nubs and that I mean, if i were to look at that and say how do you do it if it's not by human uh i've just heard it explained so many times that rock formations like this can be the result of what was glacial movement back in the da- back in the day just leaving things behind in weird places
2: And what's interesting is this is actually not that's a good you're right that's the majority of the time that's what they say this is not from glacial uh deposits though wow and the geologist said it's not from a glacial deposit so i'll tell you all about the nubs in a minute but let's go ahead and dive into like why this could be natural and why in my opinion it's a good explanation as to why it's natural i talked to dr um uh parker who's a geologist for the survey out there in Montana, and he was really, really helpful. And he even drew this up for me. So the process he described is something called exhumation. Instead of thinking, how did that get up there? Think more so of how did this become revealed? Okay, so the erosion was actually, this all used to be kind of buried. And you can see here, there used to be maybe trees right here on top. Mm. Over time, these things erode. You know, we're talking millions and millions of years and boulders topple over. And if you look in the background, you can see boulders all over the place from this, right? Boulders topple over, but every now and then you get this snapshot in time where you have this precarious boulder. And right now is that snapshot in time. Uh, one day this will fall, just like all of these.
0: You know, so this, this may fall. be, you're you're talking about this is, uh, essentially could be the remnants of what was once another sage wall.
2: Correct. The exact same process, it's called exhumation. Uh, the exact same process uh, is um, the explanation that Dr. Parker gave me for the sage wall. Now, I'll do a but. Uh, because there's there was pushback. I put all this out there on a Twitter thread, and I thought it was great. I'm one of those people. I don't get offended if someone, you know, disagrees with like my opinion. In fact, I I encourage it. I'd like to poke holes in it. And some people did. There's some interesting things that I'll talk about with the nubs in just a moment. But one thing I'd like to point out, regardless of whether this is natural or man-made, it doesn't change the significance or the mystic nature of this to me. You know for thousands of years or as long as people have been in that area, they've asked the same question we've asked, right? People don't just think, oh, uh, exhumation, when they see the same people thousands of years ago, whether it was hunter-gatherers or whoever, the tribes up there, they came across this, I guarantee, and they are probably looked at it just like we did and said, whoa. So I guarantee, you, same thing with the sage wall, if you actually uh, went and did some excavation out there, me and Michael Collins talked about this, you're probably going to find campfires it's a Michael Collins made the point. This is a great place to put your back against something. I guarantee this was a significant place. So sometimes in the uh, you know in the megalithic world out in Europe or um, even in Peru where they used actual natural structures as part of their what they ended up building on. You can use natural structures to your advantage. Um, so there's all kinds of angles you can go with this. That I still think you know I, I didn't I didn't want the enthusiasm for the sites to be ruined with my video. Right. You on, know? Yeah. Uh, but I also wanted the truth and I thought that Dr. Parker did a decent job. Now there's other anomalies out there that I'm not exactly familiar with that Michael Collins is working hard on uh, right now. So I would stay tuned with Michael Collins of wandering wolf productions on this because he actually found a lot more than I did at the Sage Wall. I got about an hour out there. I think Michael spent some real time out there. He found some interesting things. So I would uh, encourage you all to do that. The other thing is, I wish I had a picture of this uh, up right now, but those nubs that we were talking about, what really got me intrigued out there is there was these three nubs in the line out at the Tizer Dolman. And this I found this out through Michael Collins. And shout out to Judy Ryder, uh, Julie Ryder, Judy Ryder. I apologize that if I'm getting that wrong. She, MontanaMegalist.com, she's the one that kind of first brought this to uh, the attention of a lot of us. Um, she has her own theories that I don't necessarily subscribe to, but shout out to her. Go check out that website, montanamegaliths.com. And Dr. Parker explained that those nubs, cause they look like they've almost been created. Yeah. And if you go down to Peru or really any place, Asia, Europe, there's this stone nub mystery. People can't figure out why all of these nubs, um, are all at these megalithic sites throughout the world. Uh, some people think they were maybe used as a leverage tool to help them, you know, move. Some people think they're like a language shout out to the stone nub language on Twitter. Um, that it's like some type of Braille or, you know, uh, hidden code. I'm not sure what the nubs are, but Dr. Parker explained to me that the ones in Montana are actually xenolithic enclaves and that he sees them all the time. He's a rock climber and that this is a natural phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Basically. You have a piece of granite and inside that granite is a harder piece of granite or maybe another type of rock and so over time that little that harder piece is going to erode slower and you're going to get this protrusion now other people online have pushed back and they said xenolithic enclaves don't have the same structure and the same like uh, i guess you know feel or look to it as the actual um, rock itself and so the mystery is still going with with those. There's still some people that believe that you know those are actual nubs. I don't. I I, I have to admit I believe that Doctor Parker's uh, um, explanation is well, solid. But I'm welcome to having my mind changed, too. And that's what Michael Collins is up there doing. Solid research and like I'm staying tuned because I can't wait to see what he finds. There's a lot of interesting things in Montana.
0: Yeah, the, it, and I think that when we when when we get into this, obviously everything you talk about here is it's a matter of many, many, we're talking about very, very long spans of time and it makes you pause and wonder, you know, I was having a couple of, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago about how there's such a difference in seeing the country, our country over here, the United States, and then going to a place like Europe. Now, I've never been to Europe before, but I knew exactly what he was getting at when he said that traveling through Europe brings a brings with it an added sense of awe because of how everything around you is so ancient. That you can feel thousands of years of human activity around you because you are, in many cases, going about your day surrounded by the ruins of a very visible still ancient world and that in comparison america is still in its infancy but is it really i mean our 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 country our settling of the new world after the age of exploration that is still in its infancy compared to you know civilizations like china or anything like that but it's all the same planet it's all i mean so i mean everything is just as ancient so the real question is what has been left behind here and by whom because um when we're brought up we get to um we get to talk about things like the 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 serpent mounds uh things like that that we had the the the, the various um native american nations and tribes that were doing their thing and and uh and and pretty much going about their lives and and what were they were they building and developing land like we were, um, was everything that they had left behind a lot easier to just erase and be lost to to time? Um, We know that there's a lot more um, sturdier standing structures in Central and South America, the ziggurats and temples and and the remnants of those large uh, empires. But what are we, when we talk about ancient America, Usually, we're talking about debates of whether or not this wall in Montana was anything else, because it's so rare for us to say, oh, look, this is the base of, you know, this is Stonehenge. This is the Coliseum. This over here is 1500 years old. It's so hard for us to, uh, to jump on that. What we do have is a lot of rumor and a lot of myth. For example, hieroglyphics. Can you tell us about all of the All of the 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 rumors and the stories of Egyptian hieroglyphics in the Grand Canyon or uh, Celtic uh, uh, languages or something that looks like Celtic languages left behind I've heard of I've heard of pyramid structures found in the Rocky Mountains things that are always just myth whereas we can find the Circus Maximus in in uh, in Italy what can you tell us about the things that are just surrounded by lore
2: yeah for sure before i get into that just i also would like to say that you know a lot of those structures sometimes we like to think of oh this survived the test of time therefore these people were you know like these incredible engineers and they were you know they were the mayans all of them but if you were let's say a civil, a small civilization out in the american southwest and you had unlimited your supplies were unlimited adobe You know, just because over the vast, you know, amounts of time that you've abandoned it, that it eventually decays and goes away, doesn't necessarily mean that, like, um, you know, you were any less advanced than maybe, like, the Maya down south, right? In fact, if you look at, like, the American Southwest, they were playing the same ball games. They had parrots. They had the same rituals. They were drinking chocolate. Um, They were doing all these things that the Mesoamericans were doing but we just kind of don't see a lot of their structures and the ones we do, they're like kind of went away, you know, because rain happens. And my point on this is, you know, it's the same thing with people that use wood or anything else that could kind of just scatter away after time. Right. So we don't know what was going on in North America uh, because it doesn't appear that there was too many, you know, if any at all, like megalithic societies uh, before, at least within the last ice age or, you know, who, who knows before then. So, but then as for your other questions, like the Egyptian artifacts in the grand Canyon, that's a fun one, right? Uh, yeah, I think most people have heard it. And if you haven't, um, back in 1906, there was an article, a newspaper article about a man named G E Kincaid, uh, I made a little short about this, by the way, I used some AI art to kind of try to give a visual for this. I wish I had that uh, to show you all, but G E Kincaid and he, um, This guy, G. E. Kincaid, who nobody knows who this person is, you can't really find him, supposedly found these Egyptian artifacts and even like statues and relics, um, even like a Buddhist lotus flower uh, in this cave that he said could house 50,000 people in the Grand Canyon. And then, of course, there's areas of the Grand Canyon that are off limits. So this added to the lore, you know, they're hiding something, all this. But really, to be honest with you, um from my research and I really looked and it wasn't too much research cause there wasn't much there. That newspaper article is like the end of it. Um, the rest is kind of just lore. Like you said, I haven't really found anything else on that other than I will say one of my episodes, actually my last episode on YouTube is called, um, Oh, sorry. I'm blanking on the chapter name, but it's basically called Egyptian petroglyphs in Utah or Egyptian Egyptian symbolism in Utah. And it's really interesting. Um, I'm sorry I'm kind of a fence-sitter on a lot of this, but uh, it's called, so I'm kind of agnostic on whether it is or not, but to me it's just interesting how you can have Egyptian iconography very similar to some of the petroglyphs in the American Southwest. There's a place called the Rochester Panel. Um, I wish I had a photo of it right now to show you, but on this panel is a number of petroglyphs that look very similar to some of the egyptian gods uh the goddess geb and nut um are a uh a duo that when the sun rises basically you have i believe it's Nut, the goddess nut hovering over with like legs long legs and arms the goddess geb who has this erect phallus i don't know if i can say like oh yes whatever
0: yeah Yeah, go ahead say whatever you
2: want uh, (laughs) sweet awesome this erect penis and uh and you can see there's pictures of this all over egypt and on that same panel uh a very very similar depiction of some birthing woman that looks like she's giving birth to the sun just like geb and then underneath a person with a very exaggerated erect phallus um right beneath her which is really interesting that's one of like five that are very similar to some egyptian petroglyphs or sorry egyptian iconography i'm not saying that these were made by egyptians at all in fact they weren't it's very clearly fremont indian style petroglyphs the fremont natives like you can see it all over the american southwest it's i it's you know spitting image of what they normally would draw um but the question is you know who were the fremont we don't know a lot about the fremont right uh the diffusion happened at some point in the past the egyptians um they had boats right uh and even if the egyptians weren't the ones doing it egyptian um gods and goddesses all that diffused to europe to rome the romans were incredible sailors there's a lot of stories and a lot of interesting evidence of in fact, I'll just show you right now. The
0: Chinese, I I know uh, I know just from just from uh, by by osmosis over here uh, that the, the Chinese they they believe that they've been to uh, North America to the Western Hemisphere quite a bit in ancient times, and they almost like to keep their accomplishments hush hush if they have any at all. We don't I don't know, but you know what it yeah. really comes down to, and maybe you can expand on this and what you're about to present right now is that all around us there seemed if you're looking for the right things and of course if you are leaving your mind open there seems to be evidence that suggests that the world was a lot more globalized in this age of antiquity than than we than we think that perhaps uh, the you know the eastern hemisphere discovering the Western hemisphere was just a rediscovery and um and and who knows uh, who knows where it goes from that? Because like you said, e- Egyptians in the Grand Canyon, pyramids in the Rockies, uh, what seems to be Hebrew language here here and there. I- I've heard it all—the Roman head in in Texas, or or I mean, there's just so much, so many questions, and uh, all of them have been subject of very enthralling conversation over the years. But still. Uh, and controversy yeah yeah I love it i mean i mean i mean there there needs to be some kind of communication if you go far back enough there's got to be something that everybody some knowledge that everybody is sharing just because of how i mean obviously wherever you are in the world you're seeing the stars, and after you know for a certain time, this has to be something that is very um uh, it's, a, it's essential for a budding civilization to take note of what's going on above them. So perhaps to see some um, synchronicity between... Uh, isolated civilizations at the time on different continents to be doing things in accordance to what's above them that can create some synchronicity there too but the way that i mean the the style of construction of these ziggurats and in places like cambodia and south america and it's just crazy it's crazy to see construction style mimicked as well sometimes
2: yeah. And so what it comes down to is this great debate on isolationism versus diffusion and isolationism or isolationist is really the predominant theory in archeology span today, which is that any maybe coincidences you see are developed, uh, in isolation because it's human nature. And I do subscribe to that. That makes sense, right? Like if, uh, you know, people are tripping mushrooms in, uh, Colorado, and then they're also tripping mushrooms out in Europe, you know, like the same experience is probably, I mean, a lot of it's set in setting, but it's still psilocybin. Like a lot of the same things might be coming up, right? If they're looking at the stars and they're seeing patterns in the constellations and they're, you know, their minds are starting to wander, you know, of, of these like mythic gods or whatever that they're making out of them, or maybe um, I'm actually not giving them enough credit. They're really looking at the stars and they're seeing and they're understanding exactly what's going on up there. Well, the same people over in Europe can see the same thing, right, in Africa and Asia. So that does make sense. However, I do think diffusion is part of this too, more than people would like to um, uh, maybe acknowledge. And I don't know if it was totally a global trading civilization, but there might have been small epics where that was the case, right? There's like, uh, some people think that they were mining copper, that the Romans and the Byzantines and the Phoenicians were all mining copper in like Michigan. You know, others would argue, hey, it's racist to say that, you know, Native Americans weren't doing all this on their own. And for me, I'm just like, I get really annoyed with that because no one's saying that. No one's taking anything away from Native Americans. In fact, I have a lot of stuff in my book that just is like, it's jaw dropping at some of the archaeoastronomy that the Native Americans were up to. Um, But it's not, there's nothing wrong with asking questions. Um, You were talking about, you know, something that maybe... And this is a controversial one i've been getting heat on this for in my on my instagram but something that everyone across the world all kind of you know had in common at one time well we can talk about the celtic ogham the supposed celtic ogham out in colorado oklahoma west virginia really all over kind of north america there's even some people that think it's in mexico um ogham isn't some people will correct me they'll say it's Ogham. you don't say the guh i'm from kansas and we're pretty literal with our pronunciation. So the <laughs> Ogham is this, uh, type of writing and whether this is Ogham or not, I'm not saying that we're going to get to the story in just a second, but it's from, if you go out to Ireland, you can still see today. It's more vertical. This one's horizontal, but think of a line with little notches that are like specifically being put, um, uh, all along this line and you can translate it. It has vowels, it has consonants, and it's an old, ancient Celtic language that you can still see in Ireland today in the old artifacts. Um, a lot of people think it was created by the Druids uh, to try to keep their like pagan rituals secret from the Romans during Roman occupation. Uh, some people say no, it goes way further back. The Irish folklore is that it goes back all the way to the biblical Tower of Babel, right? Hmm. Which who knows how long ago that was? If there's some type of truth to that myth, right? And Anyways, people in America back in like the 60s and 70s, there's a guy named Dr. Barry Fell, very controversial character. Most people would consider him a pseudo-archaeologist, a pseudo-historian. He was the president of Harvard's Epigraphic Society. And he was definitely an interesting fella. Um, My point is on him and anyone else that's like looking for ancient scripts in America to kind of go against the grain, if they're even right about 5%, of what they were talking about, then the history books got to be rewritten, right? Hmm. So a whole bunch of people were finding um, what they thought was Celtic Ogham, and this is an example right here. It wasn't discovered by him; it was discovered by a man named Philip Leonard out in southeast Colorado, very close to where I grew up, actually, in Kansas, a place called Crack Cave. And um, you can't just go see this, by the way. They they got the cave locked down, like there's it's bolted. So don't anybody that's wanting to go see it. Uh, you got to talk to like the U.S. Forest Service and on these, the story is that these people who were studying the potential of Celtic Ogham all throughout the America were looking for petroglyphs and they went inside this cave and they found this and they translated it to read the sun strikes here on the day of Bell and Bell is an ancient pagan Celtic god and the day of Bell would be any equinox so the two equinoxes fall and spring. And when they discovered this, they were still several months away from the equinox. And for the e- people that don't know, the equinox is basically the midway point between these two solstices. So the spring equinox is the last day of winter and the first day of spring. The fall equinox is the last day of summer and the first day of fall. In ancient times, this was extremely celebrated. The story I read from the authors themselves, and so it's one of those things like you just have to do you believe them or not? Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I'm just telling the story here is that they waited that two or three, I can't remember how many months they waited. They waited for the equinox and sure enough, morning of, I took, I took this photo. I took a time-lapse. Um, I have a full video documentary on this morning of on the petroglyph that they supposedly translated as the sun strikes here on the day of bell. The sun perfectly illuminates at sunset, the moment of sunset, like the moment of sunset, this entire thing lights up, like frames it. Any area that's been carved is basically illuminated by sun right here. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, that's if that's a true story, that's mind blowing. Now are they telling the truth on that? Did they already see that this was just some archaeoastronomy marker? And then they just added their own translation to it later. I don't know
0: but still uh-huh. e- even if it's a a, a a Marker you're talking about this is still Celtic uh, Language you're talking about or something related. It's because it's it's, it's again. Why the, the presence the presence in that particular part of the world is Is crazy. I mean that that's a crazy thing to think about
2: So what here's what I would say, okay? there's like a trilemma maybe a quad here so let's just say that this let's say for a moment that this isn't celtic ogum. if this isn't celtic ogum that's amazing the native americans um you know are known to be able to do archaeoastronomy with petroglyphs there's plenty in fact there's just endless amounts of it and so this is an amazing example of that um the second thing would be just because this maybe they did translate this but maybe this is just an american branch of ogham it doesn't necessarily mean celtic people carved it it's very possible that celts or some type of ancestor from way back when got blown over on a ship or something came over here integrated themselves with the native americans taught their ways over time it was lost instead of writing the celtic ogham vertically like they do in ireland they wrote it horizontally here. It's not exactly the same. I don't I don't know Ogum myself. I don't know how to like look at it. So this is kind of just the story you hear. They were convinced that this is a version of Ogum. Another possibility is that maybe there's sub branches of a much older um you know script that you had in Europe develop its own way and in America develop its own way from some other time, right? call it a previous epic where there was a worldwide you know knowledge of one another Hmm. and i do need to mention here's the pushback on this is that the american ogham according to even the proponents supposedly doesn't have vowels where the irish ogham mostly has vowels um and so there's a whole bunch of stuff that you know we could get in the weeds
0: on but this is but but this is a an example for you of if there is some sort of a uh, greater connectivity to uh, uh, across the world that we otherwise didn't think was possible, the isolationism and all that stuff, that this would be an example of diffusion.
2: Possibly. And we don't, and I I don't, I don't necessarily mean diffusion as in like Celts selled up the river and they came to Colorado and carved this, but just something that you know, over generations, generations and generations evolved into its own thing, that it was still somewhat translatable, uh, you know, despite maybe hundreds, maybe a thousand years of being separated from whenever it was brought over Mm. here, or maybe the opposite, maybe from America to to the Kelch, right? Who knows? Um, But I remain agnostic on it just because a lot of people, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of things, here's the isolation argument the translation was bs maybe and i'm not saying it is if anybody's watching that was involved in that translation i'm just giving the devil's advocate the translation was bs maybe and you just have a markings on the wall all humans all across the world use markings on the wall to tally things right it's very possible um this is very interesting though i don't know if people can see it or how well they can see it um i have a video on this where i truly try to look at both sides of the story. It's called, Did Celtic Sell to America? Is this Celtic Ogham on my Inst- or my uh, YouTube channel? And it's probably like 10-minute video. I try to really get down to it. And I go to three different Celtic Ogham sites, and I use time-lapse photography to capture it. It's pretty cool. I'm, I'm actually pretty proud of that work just because like I had a really plan to make it happen and i got the shots and i tell the story and i'll let you all decide because Mm. to be honest with you i'm a i'm kind of a fence sitter on a lot of this stuff in my book it's just fun like this is fun right like and i sometimes i do get upset when people are so confident in their theory whether it's a proponent or a skeptic You know, some skeptics will immediately just blame some poor individual of being the perpetrator of a hoax. And it's like, well, you've just, you know, labeled them as a hoaxer for the rest of their lives and you have no evidence for it. And the same thing for proponents, um, you know, that are saying this absolutely 100% is Celtic Ogham. I I don't know. You know, I don't know if it it is. It's a very interesting story, though. And if it's true that this was translated before they saw it illuminate, that's pretty spectacular.
0: Right right and then you know that it is very uh it would be very elaborate i guess i was going to say is is there any way that somebody can date the date what has been etched into the side of the stone and i you know i see you shaking your head already i guess uh, let me ask you this question that's going to uh, expand into something bigger Then. um Is there any other, is there any reliable method of dating relics and things like that? I mean, I've heard so, we grew up hearing about carbon dating being this miraculous thing. That, oh, this has been carbon dated, so we knew that this was, it was real. And that used to carry so much weight, at least when I was younger. Now, more often than not, it's, carbon dating is ranged, is is, is, um, is measured on a range from unreliable to total crap. So, so what do you, uh, how do you, how do you even date things like this with what little we have?
2: There's multiple ways to try to do it. In this case, there's no patina. Patina is like a sunburn on a rock, um, because this is in a cave. So this would be like, I don't think it'd be possible to do here. Um, uh, Other than if it was like super recent, you could probably see that there was like almost no weathering and you could see, you know, whether and that's not the case here. There's definitely weathering. Now, this is sandstone. So a a glyph on a sandstone is not going to last forever. Right. Like it would be in granite. So there there are ways. Right. To kind of try to understand a little bit. So like to get an exact date not nah, not really in carbon dating you can't necessarily carbon date rocks. you can use something called like fission track dating on like layers of ash and uh, the uranium series datings probably are a little more accurate. Um, I know that some petroglyph uh, people are able to find dates based on like the patina uh, which is like that sunburn on the rock. Um, I don't know exactly how. Scott Walter, From America Unearthed is uh, working with the Kensington Runestone, which is a runic Viking like inscription up in Minnesota. And he has some specific ways that he looks at like the micas within a stone. But once again, this is sandstone. So I don't think you could do that um and that was like on a slab of rock this is a part of a large wall so i I just don't know and i could be wrong Hmm. but i I don't think with this particular way that you could but yeah there are ways and i don't know exactly a lot about it i'm not a geologist but i would look into like scott walter's work he literally calls himself a forensic geologist that works specifically with like petroglyphs and um uh you, you know ancient carvings and stuff like that and he's got a cool cool tv show you know america on earth if anyone's seeing it it's kind of fun
0: um well let me ask you this let's go into something a little bit more i I would love to ask you about underground structures i mean you're talking about and i've heard that about the grand canyon about that there was a uh, a chamber a chasm a an opening there it's pretty much a a a space that can fit up to fifty thousand people i know that Anything outside of North America is really not your forte because you haven't been there yet. But I read all the time about underground, subterranean metropolises from all around the, the world. In fact, somebody in our gilded chat today asked me uh, uh, specifically about this place called uh, Derinkuyu or Derinkuyu. It's in Turkey, and you know I had it in mind. Then all of a sudden, I saw, I got an email. From interesting dot com, a place that I go to, I I just check in on them every once in a while. I got an email from them about this particular city that was published just a couple of weeks ago, and here is a city in in um, it's listed among eleven astonishing underground cities around the world, and this one had a capacity of about twenty thousand people, and that is in Turkey. Now I, we've we've done a lot of stories uh, on this show about. Especially the American Southwest and the the legends of giants uh, somewhere out there. We were we we're doing a show about Apache territory near the Superstition Mountains and how there was a fabled opening to the uh, the Middle Earth, and in that opening there were some explorers who had found what is essentially a giant a throne room for giants. That there was a that there was a a a, 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 lo- a descending staircase into a larger A chamber where there's a giant throne and all this stuff we hear about this stuff all the time but again there is so little i mean this would even be legend and lore worthy in europe even though they have uh you know ancient ruins all around them but in the united states all we have are just forests we have forests we have mountains we have we have mounds we don't have anything everything is just really is relegated to storytelling and legend what do you find along especially the southwest of underground cities or underground settlements and anything that that points to you know even just lost uh lost species or subspecies of human
2: yeah Uh, like so this is just the fun lure behind it um so first of all as for like the grand canyon like it for me it truly dead ends at that article like you know, there's I've never seen any other evidence than that, and then it's just spread like wildfire on the internet. And it's a lot of fun, but then there's some like you know, little fun things with the petroglyphs that I mentioned, or the cocaine mummies. If you've ever heard about the mummies that were tested out there in uh, Egypt and they had actual cocaine and tobacco residue on them, which only comes from the Americas, like something was going on, right? But as for like underground, there is one story in my book uh, about the Hopi ant people. So the Hopi. Um, are a tribe out in the Southwest. Their ancestors were the ancestral Puebloans, I like guess formerly known as like the Anasazi. And they have this story of the basically the four worlds that were in the fourth world, I believe. And if you're Hopi and I'm butchering this, I'm sorry, like light me up in the comments, it's all good. Um, but basically they have this story called about the Ant People and i've always found this incredibly curious and some of it i was almost seemed too good to be true so I, I did a little investigation and i some of your viewers might have heard about this but for those that haven't the ant people story is basically that the hopi had already um survived several cataclysms one was ice one was fire there was about to be another one and they started seeing these things in the sky um and here's my background i, I you can't really see but because it's cut it off, but I have a UFO up there. And they started seeing these things in the sky and kind of got the idea that they should start to follow these things and that these things wanted them to start following them. And these things eventually led them to this underground cavern where they met the ant people who basically took them in as refugees from this inevitable cataclysm and didn't allow them to go back outside until it was safe kind of like, you know, a lot of, and you hear this story. This isn't, there's the same story is told in Mexico by the Aztec, the same stories I'm pretty sure told out in um, the Middle East. You were sa- you were talking about those caverns, you know, out there in Turkey, which just blew my mind. But the kicker to this story that always was so wild, I read about this on ancientorigins.com. And the kicker was, We've all heard about the Anunnaki, right? Frank, you know the Anunnaki, right. correct? Right. This basically these beings that were coming every cyclical, every so often, and uh, kind of helping develop humans, maybe even were genetically uh, manipulating lower primates and creating us. You know, um, whether you all believe that or not, I don't know. I don't know what I believe on that, but that's a story. And the Hopi, I always read online and I had to try to figure this out and I still haven't figured it out yet. If you're Hopi, and you speak this language, like let me know. But the Hopi word for ant was Anu. And the Hopi root word for friend was Naki. Ant friend, Anu Naki. And this just blew my mind when I read this. So I ended up calling the Hopi um like cultural center and just asking them, Hey, is it true that Anu is means ant? And they confirmed that. I was like, what about Naki, the word Naki? Is that really the root word? And I'm not a linguist, so I don't even know what like that means, root word. Is that really the root word for friend? And she kind of was like unsure, and she's like, well, there's something called naku- Nakuatsin. Nakuatsin, that may, maybe means with friends. But it's spelled differently, and she didn't really know how to spell it. Then I made a video about this, and people started saying Quatsin is actually the way to say friends and then a person from another hope because the hope you're a pretty large nation there's different translations from different tribes hmm. another person was saying it's actually right another person saying i was full of crap for even saying this for me i'm just i'm like hey i'm just saying what you see for three pages on google when you google this thing right i'm trying to figure this out so supposedly anunnaki translates to ant friend and you have this story of the ant people in uh in the Hopi and that's just blew my mind. Now whether Naki is the root word for um friends or not, I haven't been, been able to actually confirm that. So if somebody out there speaks Hopi and you could help us out, that'd be awesome. You know the- talk about that in the book a little bit. I'm like, hey, I don't know if this is <laughs> this is true well well, that's
0: the that's the reason why and i can't i can't wait to be i can't wait to get this this book in my uh my possession because it's one of those things where it's a perfect coffee table book for people like us to just flip open at any point and there's just something interesting to ponder and the and the reason why i uh i like this kind of stuff i knew that we would have a great time together on air is because physical evidence when it's combined with psychic exploration or any kind of spiritual background is so much more important to me, so much more meaningful because that combination, I always appreciate it, Um, As we know from, you know, time to time for as secular a society as we fancy ourselves, there is always something spiritual driving us. It's either we have our hands on the wheel or we have our hands off the wheel and we're being driven by something. We become a puppet of something else. We are spiritual beings. And there is so much more. uh, It becomes so much more of a real human history when you take these things into consideration. And when I say into consideration, I mean... Not to just think that people and their customs and religions from thousands of years ago were in some way less intelligent than we were, because the fashion has changed because obviously you have to um I- at least your the the elites in society have to be very, very mathematically talented to be able to build what they built and have it be um in, in such direct, Uh, alignment with the stars above and i mean that takes incredible amount of calculating so i don't ever look at ancient peoples as as wholesale unintelligent just because they lived thousands of years ago and we have netflix now you know it's i i can't do that so i i really appreciate that you go into the um, the psychic aspects of things here, too, because you you go into Edgar Cayce and I see Edgar Cayce's listing in here. These are things that are I think they tell a more complete story about uh, what was driving people in the past and what may be a, a, a part of the reason why certain civilizations rose and then fell.
2: Yeah, and people, I think, are starting to kind of wake up to that. You mentioned Edgar Cayce. That's my favorite video I've made. It's called Refugees from Atlantis, The America's Lost History, as told by Edgar Cayce. It's wild. For those that know who Edgar Cayce is, he's largely considered America's greatest psychic, whether or not you believe in psychic abilities or not. A lot of people did, and a lot of people, including, I believe, President, um, oh, who was it? President Wilson, Woodrow Wilson is reportedly uh, reported to have used Edgar Cayce for health readings. Uh, I mean, this guy was a celebrity, he was on the front page of New York Times, and what's interesting about him is he didn't make a dime, like he he didn't make any money doing this, he kind of just did it, like he was a very virtuous man. Anyways, somebody eventually asked him about like ancient civilizations in Atlantis, and he starts talking about how the Hall of Records are in Egypt, Bimni Island in some place out in, uh, basically Guatemala that was being uncovered at the time. And, uh, ended up being this place called Piedras Negras. I drove, I drove, uh, took a, I didn't drive it, but I took a seven hour round trip boat ride through like crocodile infested waters to go to this place and film this, uh, this movie, not movie, but video, which just recently blew up. I was so happy. I, I made this incredible, like hour long documentary. I don't mean to call it incredible, but I loved it. It was just fun. Right. It was like one of my favorite memories. And over a year, it got like 10,000 views. And within the last two weeks, that thing has gotten like 170,000 views. I don't know what happened. Like YouTube just started showing it to people. Uh, So if you want to go check that out, that's actually my favorite chapter in the book. It's Refugees from Atlantis. But it's a a wild rabbit hole. I don't know if we have time to get into today. I kind of wanted to talk to you about Chimney Rock, Colorado, because it it had to do with a lot of what you just said about how ancients were just as smart if not smarter than us in many ways okay
0: go, go into that we we can save atlantis for some other time we don't have to we only uh, i let's go into that and maybe that's where we uh we can start winding down tonight's show because i i see this developing into a a, a series of talks over time so yeah. don't yeah don't don't try to don't try to fit it all in man we're, we're good
2: Yeah, totally. And sorry if I cut off Atlantis there. That'd be fun to talk to too, but that might take an hour. It's a (laughs) wild story. It's all good. This one I can tell really quick. This chapter is called Ancient uh, Astronomers and the Silicon Valley Bank Collapse, The Moon and the Stars Control the Economy, which is like a very long title. I'm very well aware of that. But I wanted to really kind of paint the picture for what we're getting into. I, I don't know if you recall the Silicon Valley Bank Collapse that had happened. Uh, about back in March, yeah, uh, the largest bank in California, in, in one of the largest banks in the world, uh, one of the, you know, that's been responsible for a lot of the, um, investing out venture, west. venture capital, exactly just collapsed. And, um, for me, when I saw this, I was like, Whoa, I made a video one year prior about ancient archaeoastronomy in particular at chimney rock, Colorado, and how it correlates to what many people follow today in the stock market of our own boom and bust credit bus cycles of like this 18.6 year cycle so basically what you're looking at here is chimney rock colorado this was in 2007 and every 18.6 years is something called the lunar standstill and we're actually just entered it right now the last one was in 2007 or 2006 2007 they last for about two and a half i can't remember exactly two and a half three years and basically it's this visual phenomenon where the cycles of the moon basically kind of start to go backwards and they they go a different way and it creates this really interesting phenomenon for a while where it almost looks like the moon is standing still uh hard to explain uh, but you can kind of look up what lunar standstill means Anyways, every eighteen point six years, um, they realized they were building on this great house that exists here at Chimney Rock, Colorado. So, overlooking this great house high up is one of the most incredible ancient sites in all of North America. I took this with my drone right here. This is Chimney Rock, Colorado, and you can see the two spires right here. This two, uh, um, uh, I guess, chimneys right there. Yep, and. The archaeologists were saying, man, every 18 years they were building here, because you can get really accurate dates on tree rings. They use a lot of trees to um, build these uh, uh, sites. They're not just made of bricks. They were using wood as well. And somebody goes, I guarantee you that has something to do with the lunar standstill. We know this already happens at other ancient sites. Why not here? And they made a prediction. Um, I think his name was Jim Malville made a prediction that on the during the lunar standstill periodically, like more than once, anytime there's a full moon, periodically, that you'd see it rising between the pillars at Chimney Rock, Colorado. And um, sure enough, that's what happened. This is from 2007 and it's happening right now. And it's gonna happen for the next couple of years. Well, and I wish I could have this chart to pull up that's really interesting because you're like, why were they doing that? Well, a lot of people, they were looking up at the stars for their own boom and bust cycles, right? Crop cycles, famine, all these things that they followed. And it's interesting because there was a guy named W.D. Gann back in the 1900s. Anybody that like trades stocks or anything like that um, maybe was familiar with the name W.D. Gann. This is basically like astrology for a stock market uh, gurus. And even the great Ray Dalio um, kind of follows something similar. And I'll I'll talk about that in a second. But every 18.6 years, he basically said there was this boom and bust credit cycle that correlated with the lunar standstill. And sure enough, he made this thing in the early 1900s, this chart that just extrapolates out. You can extrapolate it out for as long as you want. And it predicts the Great Depression. Um, You know, it, It kind of basically predicts the World War II market shakeups. Uh, eventually fast forward, it predicts the Asian financial crisis in like the eighties. I can't remember when that was hmm. it's the 2007 housing crisis. And right now, as we enter the lunar standstill, and I made a video about this a year before the Silicon Valley bank collapsed, but that basically, you know, this, according to WD Gans chart that, you know, we're due for some turmoil in the markets, basically, um, and this happens every 18.6 years. Uh, this is not financial advice, by the way. I'm not a financial advisor. I don't really know anything about that. But it's really interesting. Guy well, named well you don't have to be
0: Nostradamus these days, Will, to know that we're screwed. That's, yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> yeah. For, for sure. Because this isn't the only cycle that's going on, bro. I'm sure you're familiar with, like, the fourth turning. Oh, yeah. Or, you know, this is all coming ahead, you know, as we're entering this lunar standstill. And to me, it's just interesting. Uh, a guy named Ray Dalio, one of the most uh, successful investors of all time, I think he's worth forty billion. Uh, he has he doesn't call it eighteen point six years. He says, "Oh, the eighteen year credit debt cycle," but and he never acknowledges that it's like you know it's following the lunar standstill cycle. Mm. Um, but you know his bets are placed. Um, and so, once again, this doesn't necessarily mean it's a stock market collapse. It could be a dollar in, uh, inflation, right? Some type of economic. Um, you know, reset or not reset, sorry, some type of economic downfall one way or the other. So don't place your bets on whether the moon's going to rise through these two pillars or not. Right. It's just really interesting. And you can read about the lunar standstill rising between the pillars at chimney rock, Colorado on online. I have a video about it that really goes into this detail and I just thought it was super cool. Um, and we'll see what happens. And then sure enough though, as we entered the lunar sandstill just last year, that spring what happens to the silicon valley bank right right uh the repo market the credit debt you know the credit swaps in the repo market were hitting all-time highs credit suisse uh was uh, you know about to implode if they didn't get bailed out i mean there's all kinds of crazy things that kind of got kicked down the road a little further and this is like a broad period between like 2023 that like if you look at wd gan's chart between 2023 and 2026 uh, he thinks like something's going to happen whether or not happens or maybe it's already happened who knows Uh, and
0: and of course the one of the biggest questions of them all will is how long when we talk about when we talk about stories that are this old when we have theories and and the anything you bring back from these ancient sites now everything is ancient we've said the ancient world is all around us it's not just in europe uh, you know, it's not just in Africa and all these places. It's, it's the entire planet is as old as it is anywhere else. It's really, where is there evidence of humans leaving something behind and how far back does it go? I mean, you, you, uh, some of your work goes back in dealing with, um, with, with sites and with, uh. And with relics that could be somewhere in the range of hundreds of thousands of years, sometimes that in itself would be too much for some people to to consider, uh, because there's there's plenty of debate these days on just how old the Earth is. Uh, interestingly enough, but one of the biggest questions of them all is really how long is it going to take before what we believe to be the apex. Of human achievement is nothing more than ruins as well, you know. Whether it be a consequence of political folly or the flipping of the polls, uh, there's just there's so much to consider. And everything that we we dabble with that is so far in the past was at one point as good as it ever was, you know. Oh okay. That's just the that's the incredible thing in dealing with these uh, these timelines and and trying to understand. You know what it is trying to you know poke through that veil and and grab some information from a world that is very hard to access,
2: yeah, I think it's Randall Carlson that you know who Randall Carlson yes yeah. he 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 says there's been like I can't remember it's like at least ten uh extinction level events in the last two hundred thousand years like it's not that that's not that long ago, right um 10 maybe it's even more like it's going to happen again right we're not special uh we go through asteroid belts all the time uh the sun does flare um the poles do shift now a lot of people think the poles shift every you know millions of years some people think they shift more often than that um i don't know on all that i just know that this world is chaos humans do try our best to bring order to it uh but cataclysms are going to happen again And uh, there will be a time when I believe um, humanity will be brought to its knees again. Uh, I think we'll find a way. I hope we don't ever go seeing And maybe maybe we're doing it to ourselves. Maybe we've been the um, sexual organs for AI and we're about to be replaced by some, you know, maybe that's what UFOs are. Maybe they've been slowly getting us to create this ai thing that they they're using just to you know take over the entire universe i don't mm-hmm. know um but you know this is a blip in time uh homo sapiens have been around for I, they're starting to push it back to like 300 four hundred thousand years for any young earth creationist out there by the way uh totally got a lot of respect for y'all i actually believe in something what i like to term the new earth um, I don't. Know, I think a lot of young Earth creationists and the evident, evidence that they use, uh, I think they're getting it maybe confused with uh, these cataclysms that happen that really do bring systematic change to the face of the Earth, to the geology of the Earth. You know, a lot of young Earth creationists think that the Earth is six thousand years. Some think it's twelve thousand years. Well, there's decent evidence that there was cataclysms happening 6,000 and 12,000 years ago, right? If you've ever heard of like the Torrid Meteor Shower. Um, There's all kinds of stuff that was happening that could have displaced the geology to make it seem like that. And uh, for anybody that is a young earth creationist out there, if I'm wrong about that, let me know. I'm always open-minded. Holler at me. I want to hear it. But, yeah, all that stuff can happen again, and it will happen again. And um, in my opinion, I don't know if there's much we can do about it other than maybe get right with god right so oh yeah
0: well, well let me ask you then about uh about though the, that uh, cyclical uh great reset you want to talk about the greatest of resets th- that that is what you're referencing right there um do, have you looked into any of the theories about where the garden of eden actually was some some people say it was in iraq iran so that that whole area like mesopotamia um but there are even those who theorize that it was in Florida or in Missouri. Uh, what do you think about that?
2: I don't know. Is it the uh, man? I might get laughed at for this. Is it the Mormons that believe that it's Missouri? Uh, I pro- pro-
0: well, probably. I-, I don't know too much about. It. I just know that I just know that there are there are some people who believe that possible locations for th- for Eden is in yeah. here. Yeah.
2: Um, So first of all, I do consider myself like a Christian in like a a very cultural way, Uh, but I don't know how much of the Old Testament I take as like um, literal translations. Some of it probably is like there's probably some of the stories are like real translations and also it's translations through there. Worldview and their ethos, right? Compared to ours, which is completely, maybe even diminished compared to theirs. So there's a lot of things that are lost in translation. So the Garden of Eden, for all I know, could be a metaphor. Um, You know, I'm not exactly sure on that. And, you know, is the Garden of Eden talking about a story of like the New World, like I was talking post cataclysm? Or is it talking literally about the first humans? Is it talking about some type of, you know, Mm. genetic manipulation uh, that happened to us? I don't know. That's a good question. Um, uh, I really, truly don't know. But I've heard those stories. I've heard, and I believe it's the the Mormon church, if I'm correct, or at least part of them that thought or thinks that Missouri was the Garden of Eden.
0: Was the place. Okay. Sounds good sounds good. yeah because I know I know I didn't know it could be very well could be the, the Mormons, but I knew that there was Florida and I knew that there was Missouri My I, I know yeah definitely um but as far as which one it is if, if any at all I no I don't know that either um I guess uh, well I, I, one more thing now that we're now that we're poking holes in plenty of rabbit holes here um, expanding earth. What do you think about it? We're talking about underground underground civilizations. There's plenty to be said about Hollow Earth theory. I've done a lot of that on the show, with uh, with guests, and um, I mean it's when it comes to underground civilizations that the reasons for that will vary from ice age survival myths to alien encampments that have always been here and and uh, and have been uh, kept under seal. Uh, Whether that be underwater or just deep underground, then there's expanding earth that the earth is actually expanding It's becoming bigger Uh, Of course, there's flat earth, but I don't know. Where where do you are you where are you on the the shape and the scope of the earth?
2: Yeah, I'm I'm not a flat earther Um, This I do trust the uh, I'm I am a sheeple when it comes to the the shape of the actual earth but expanding earth is something i haven't heard of before and like bro like knowledge dropped me like i gotta hear about this like tell me what expanding earth is and i'll, I'll give any insight maybe that you know first comes to mind that sounds incredible
0: well here's a little something i i have from 2014 that i had uh, bookmarked and it's from scientific american uh, expanding Earth, the prevailing geological model of the early 19th century was characterized by an almost static Earth, maybe slowly cooling and shrinking until the molten interior would eventually be completely frozen and solidified. Um, but however, the beginning of the 20th century, collected evidence suggested that Earth's crust was quite more mobile, both in horizontal yeah. and vertical directions than previously thought. In 1956, Lazio um, Igid. Professor at Geophysical Institute of um, the Vos University in Budapest, uh, based on variations of the sea level in the geological past, proposed that the Earth was slowly and constantly growing. According to his reconstruction, today's continents are the remnant or the remains of the ancient crust of a smaller planet surrounded by a by younger rocks generated along fractures at the mid-ocean ridges. He explained the. Uh, The supposed increasing volume of our planet by modifications of mineral phases in the Earth's interior, as minerals are known to change the crystal structure in relation to changing heat and pressure. Even stranger explanation was suggested by German physicist Pascal Jordan in 1966. The expanding Earth was uh, imputable to the general dilation of the space-time continuum. Most work on there's only there's only two more sentences left most work on expanding Earth growing Earth hypothesis was done by the German engineer Klaus Vogel Famous for his elaborate globes with the continents fitting in on a 20% smaller Earth Influenced by Vogel's globes Australian geologist Samuel Warren Carey will become one of the most uh, Will become one of the most eminent supporters of the expanding Earth hypothesis.
2: Okay. Yeah, so um, Okay when you ever talked about the mobile crust so earth crustal displacement theory is this similar basically that the crust of the earth uh gets a lot more loosey-goosey especially when like maybe solar flares happen and different things like this um i don't know if you know who space weatherman is on twitter and then of course jimmy from bright insight oh yeah Um, they've been going down this rabbit hole lately yeah uh, suspicious
0: observers you mean
2: Uh, That might be correct
0: And I think Um, Ben and Jimmy just did an episode of something together doing pole shifts
2: Yes exactly so this is like The pole shift uh, theory This is not exactly brand new to me Because I used to read a little bit of Charles Hapgood who had a little bit uh, Quite a bit to say about The um, uh, Earth crustal displacement and then they made a movie About this I don't know if you remember what was it called Is that the day after tomorrow It's based off of earth crustal displacement Theory I watched part of that live stream with Jimmy. Shout out to Jimmy, by the way, at Bright Insight. He's actually, I remember watching a YouTube video where he was like, go out, make that YouTube channel. And that was like one of the reasons I actually went and made my channel. Um, But Jimmy, and you said his name's Ben, right? The space weatherman. Yeah. Yeah, this is mind-blowing information to me. I started watching one of his documentaries. And uh, I hope he's wrong because if he's right, it's coming up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know. I know it can it can sometimes be a little bit stressful uh, to watch uh, suspicious observers, but um, but you know I, I like you say before, and I don't know why it's fun, but it's fun. fun. I I don't know why it's fun. Uh, well, what you're talking about digging into, digging in t- deep, to try to find some kind of answer for all of, uh, history's you know biggest burning questions. Uh, it's fun to open up your mind and and, and just say, what if, especially when there's nothing else left behind to really fill in the gaps. And I know that it's not good to just, uh, to just, uh, speculate all the time, but every once in a while, it's a good mental exercise. Um, on the other hand, there is something dangerously alluring to doom and gloom too. Like, oh my gosh, is there something lurking around the corner? Um, you don't want to go too far into it because then it'll ruin your life. But uh, I, but there is something. It's almost like Halloween. Why is why do we all like getting spooky a couple of weeks out of the year? But it's more yeah. more appropriate than others, right?
2: Yeah, man. I used I, I'm actually like completely sober these days. I don't even drink caffeine. I haven't had a drop in years. I haven't had a joint in years. But I used to smoke a lot of weed just so I could freak myself out get on youtube and just freak (laughs) myself out right like fun like when i was in college i'd be reading about this stuff and i'd be like oh my goodness you know um there might be alternative realities or finding all you know you'd be reading about um quantum theory and all this stuff and it just freak you out and now you know i told you i'm sober i don't do any of that stuff and like that whatever that is that i had triggered in my brain to like like to be freaked out a little bit it's still there no yeah i watched watched jimmy and ben uh tell me about that earth crustal displacement and the solar flares and all that stuff and i follow him on twitter and um yeah it's kind of scary but it's like well what am i going to do if that is true which i'm not even saying it is i need to do the i need to do the work to find out what i believe on that but if that is true like what are we going to do you just got to um and I kind of like that about that bin guy I noticed on Twitter. He still goes into the gym and works out and like lives his best life and he is fully bought in. He thinks by like 2040 like we're done, right? Like um and so what what more can you do than jump in the river and just like put your feet up and float, you know? And yeah, man. Like,
0: yeah, well, well what you're describing right there is curiosity. You know when you when you were when you were getting high, um it, it it wasn't the weed that was making you cu- you're a curious person. Um, the, the only thing is that when once you are starting to do some research sober and you're feeding that curiosity, what you will do is you will find yourself um, you'll find yourself identifying things that are a lot more, Yo, there's something to this. Instead of you know, when, sometimes when you're high, you think every thought that you have is like the it's it. I, I just figured the world out. You write it down. You wake up the next morning. You're like, what the fuck was I talking about? Yeah, you, you know. I remember that? Yeah, like the, the, that happens a lot. When you get stoned, and you all of a sudden you think you're a philosopher king, and yeah. uh, but but then but then you realize you know, the real thing that was at work for you was your curiosity, and 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 you're just. Uh, you're just working that angle unencumbered by anything else. So that's what makes it even more so alluring after a while there too when you realize yo there's actually something to this and i uh you know connecting some dots and there's there's other things you have to use to moderate yourself at that point because you can still fly off the handle.
2: Yeah, for sure, you know, and like uh at the end of the day like there here's the other thing. I'm sure every epic and era and generation of people have maybe thought this in some way, but it kind of does feel like the end doesn't it like it kind of feels like we're like maybe not in our lifetime but like we're getting close right are we gonna make it to three are we gonna make it to the year 3000 like really like you know what i mean yeah it does it feels weird right now there's too many nuclear weapons in the world we got this thing called ai coming uh and maybe none of that even matters because according to ben from spaceweatherman.com uh, like we're about to get fried by the sun, the poles are going to shift, and a tidal wave is going to sweep over the entire Earth. And like, you know, so there's a bunch of things. I'm not saying I believe that necessarily. I got to do the work before I know what I believe. Uh, but you know, what can you do? Praise God, right? Like, Praise that's God. All you can't do so
0: well. Will this has been a gr- this has been a great time hanging out with you, man. And I, I'm sure it's going to be the the first of many. And uh, please let everybody know. I actually just got a a message from my. Uh, my, uh, studio, my network's executive producer, uh, Abe. And he just said that, uh, tonight's rabbit hole Wednesday, rabbit hole Wednesdays on quite frankly. TV will do the incredible history enigmatic North American series it will include the t- uh, a ticker reminder for uh, folks to subscribe to Incredible History for more. And we'll uh, we'll make sure that we play that the, uh, the Refugees from Atlantis video as well, since we didn't mo- notice it uh, since you brought it up tonight. But aside from that, we'll let everybody know what the best place is to go and find you, follow you. I have your link tree um, hyperlink in the description of this episode, so there's that. But what do you prefer people go to right now?
2: Yeah, go check me out on YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At Incred History on all of them is my tag. My name is Incredible History. My name is, personally, I'm Will. I'm from Kansas, uh, and I'm have been. i I'm the one-man show at Incredible History. So go check that out. YouTube um, is where my longer-form content is. Twitter, you can see some of my daily musings that are going on inside my head. I don't know if musings is a word. But Instagram, I'm popping out some reels, and on YouTube as well. Little one-minute reels that are kind of fun. Um, I got several of those. I've been doing three or four of those a week, so go check those out.
0: Well, you're doing great, man, and I'm glad that we got you on, and uh, we'll talk next time.
2: Hey, I appreciate you having me on, Frank. I'm a big fan of the show, and uh, much love to you and your viewers, but I appreciate it.
0: Well, now you're part of the show, so you can be equally happy as I am. Thank you, man. Anytime. Take care. There you go. There is Will from Incredible History. Uh, It is 834. We'll take a really quick break. Just the intermission, come back, super chats, calls, And uh, we'll wrap this one up. Wednesday is almost in the books. Be right back.
1: It's intermission time, folks. Time out
0: to press the like button. Thank you. Welcome to Intermission. We'll, We'll be right back.
1: Yeah, do
2: Now entering, quite frankly.
1: Quite frankly. Quite frankly. Quite frankly. Quite frankly. Quite frankly. Quite frankly. Quite frankly.
0: Quite
1: frankly. Quite 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 frankly. We all support, quite frankly. Not quite. Quite frankly. Let's go,
0: Brandon. Quite frankly. In Roma, Italia. Quite frankly. You're going on Frank's show tonight? I want to get a Coke. Can I get a Coke? We are back. We are back. We're back. I like that. Well, there's plenty to do. Plenty to do with Will in the future. There's gonna be Atlantis nights. We haven't even touched UFOs or anything like that. Tremendous. And even whatever is not in his book, you can tell that's a curious mind, and um, and I'm glad that we we had him <clears throat> we had him on. All right, let's get into the Super Chats, and we're going to open up the lines. 914 Jump on with me. Let me know what you think. Uh, there's really been only one topic tonight, so try to keep it on there. A, uh, you know, let me uh, let me know what you're thinking. About. Have you ever been to an ancient site? Have you ever come to a conclusion, a startling conclusion about human origins or... Anything like that. Just anything that has been inspired, any remembrance or experience that's been inspired by tonight's topic, please, by all means, join us. And we're going to have a little bit of a marathon of of incredible history videos on Rabbit Hole Wednesday right after this. Jay Britt says, hey, Frank, I really like Will. Get him back. You're the best. Wow. Thank you, Jay. What a very generous tip right there. And thank you, Will again for coming on. Don't worry, he'll be back. We'll figure it all out. Katie Sky. What's going on, Katie? Says, hi, Frank and Frankly's. Just saying hi. Well, I'm glad you stopped by. Adam W. Adam says, all of my phone's government notifications were off, and I still got the emergency warning today. Only two things will fix this invasion of privacy. Tar and feathers. P.S. Taxation is theft. You're right, taxation is, is theft. And I don't know why anybody thought putting their phone... Off or in a Faraday cage was going to stop the message from coming in. Haven't you turned your phone off, any phone that you've owned over the last 20 years, and then turned it back on? What happens? You get notifications for every, every, every uh, next hell message, every text all the all the messages that came through on your beeper i mean it it was going to be waiting for you so i don't know what everybody was trying to avoid um i know that there was a there's quite a few people that got the the emergency broadcast system uh text message in different languages you know which language did you get We've got a, speaking of Tower of Babel, we've got a Tower of Babel thing going on right now in this country, all by design. So I'm not shocked that uh, everyone is getting foreign languages and stuff. That would that would be my luck. Imagine that this was all legitimate and there is a real emergency one day and the feds send me a warning in Swahili because their diversity program went, went crazy. The DEI... Uh, uh, The DEI protocols, they just went nuts. There was an actual emergency and everybody got a message in Swahili. I can see that happening. Stowstoop Stoops is excellent guest tonight, Frank, as is the usual with, quite frankly, thank you, sir. Great, great hump day. Thank you, Christos. Jay Dietrich says, hey, Frank, just a reminder to all the callers to mute the bloody stream, turn off the speakerphone. Put your damn mouths close to the receiver so my favorite show host can understand y'all. I'll donate more often to remind everyone. Love the show, buddy. Thank you, Jay. Jay Dietrich. That's very nice of you. Yes, if you do call in, the number's on the, on the screen. Call in. Remember what Jay Dietrich just said. For the love of God hello kitty sks is hi quite frankly i just wanted to let you know i received three amber alerts from the elusive fema emergency broadcast today wtf since when does fema do amber alerts amber alerts an actual amber alert or are you just calling the ems test today an amber alert because i get amber amber alerts from time to time as well but i thought those are those are all state generated and I never saw FEMA attached to that. Hold on. Let me, let me see. Does FEMA do barbecues? Amber Alerts. An emergency alert test today sounded on all U.S. cell phones, TV, and radio. Uh, FEMA's National Emergency Alert System test. That was FEMA. But... Okay, I'm going to just put FEMA Amber Alerts. Why hundreds of millions of people just got a FEMA National? No. Well, uh, nothing's bouncing back right now. I don't think I ever remember FEMA being part of an Amber Alert locally. So, but you know, after today, and this is not the first test too. I mean, they, they tested a emergency alert system text message thing under the 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 trump administration so smitty says congratulations to the texas rangers on their playoff series win against the tampa bay rays oh did they go through did they push through good to hell with the rays good for the texas rangers good for the texas rangers all right. Let's see what else do we have here. A national alert. This was sent to me. This is from AK. This is from AK in the Gilda chat room. FEMA is part of that test. Amber alert is only for missing children. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No. Amber alerts for missing children. That's what I'm saying. I did not know. I never saw FEMA as being part of amber alerts. I thought that was more state generated. But as far as the national alert, I got that today. Lauren and I got it th- at the same time. So, 914 269 You let me know what you think about that. We did Expanding Earth Theory tonight. Here's a little something I grabbed. It's, uh... Appalach... Appalachio Cola. Appalachio Cola Bluffs and Ravines. This is down in in florida the garden of eden is one of the best known parts of the book of genesis after he created the heavens and the earth and the earth the plants and the animals god created man the first man was named adam as a place for him to live god created a magnificent garden the garden of eden was watered by a river that flowered from four headwaters Uh, one of these came from the land Where there was gold, the second wound through the land of Cush. The third was the Tigris, the fourth was the Euphrates. Because God did not think it was good for Adam to be lonely, he created a woman named Eve to live in the garden as well. Adam was warned, however, that he was not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If he did, he would die. What happens next is well known, but it has long been assumed that the Garden of Eden was somewhere in modern day Iraq. The Tigris and Euphrates Rivers still flow there, and the region has long since been called the Cradle of Civilization. A more controversial theory, however, holds that the Garden was nowhere near the Middle East. This theory was first advanced by Bristol res- resident E.E. E. Calloway and places the Garden of Eden on Florida's Apalachicola Appalachia- River. For Calloway, this theory was not just a flight of fancy. The Apalachicola is fed by four primary tributaries, or heads, exactly like the river described in the book of Genesis. In addition, some of the rarest plants in the world grow along the bluffs and steep head ravines on the east side of the river between the Bristol and uh, Chattahoochee. Among these, both the Florida Torreya and the Florida U. Florida, the Torreya was officially discovered by the botanist Hardy Brian Croom during the 1820s and named for Dr. John Torrey, a famed naturalist of the time. Locals have long called the stinking seder, the cedar sorry. for the strong odor it emits when it is bruised. They also believe it is the famed gopher wood from which Noah built the ark. This legend, of course, added strength to Calloway's theory that he had found the Garden of Eden in Florida. So the site identified by E.E. Calloway as the Garden of Eden is protected today as a part of the Nature uh, Conservancy's Appalachicola Bluffs and Ravines Preserve accessible via Garden of Eden Road. The preserve has paid tribute to the local legend by labeling a primary trail leading through the site as the Garden of Eden Trail. Be aware, though, this is not a walk for the faint of heart. Well... So as far as the Missouri thing, it could be the Mormons. That sounds like it, uh, it, it makes some logical sense. That they'd be the one who did it. This is from Jimmy Cor- uh, Corsetti today. Speaking of uh, connectivity of the entire world and some kind of shared knowledge or maybe even consciousness. Take a look at this. He put out, um, put out the question. He said, coincidence or lost ancient global connection? And here's a side-by-side of a ziggurat-like structure in Cambodia compared to Guatemala. And then again, Cambodia and Central America. Cambodia and Mexico. They can say it's not out of question that pyramid-like, you know, step pyramid-like figures uh, and... and uh, Things will be put together like this but um interesting to think about and maybe one day we'll be able to expand on that with someone like jimmy on the air i love that i would love to do a a round table and just sit back and, lay, and hear everybody duke it out that'd be wonderful right okay all right over on foxhole robert sarns thank you paulie 93 says uh did he say three nubs Yes, nubs. I know everybody got a little bit, uh, a little bit aroused when we were talking about the nubs there for a little bit, especially the D Live chat and their their obsession with nipples. Sean Joe, thank you. Boys Blanc, thank you. And Doug Simmy says, great guest, Frank. I'm hope I'm glad that everybody liked it. I, I I want you all to like it. Here is one on the rock fin. This one is from Janet. Janet Pediton. What's going on, Janet? Janet says, hey Frank, my 10 year old son, his name is Ethan Valentino Brown. What a badass name. Ethan Valentino Brown. And we watch your show almost every day. Ethan, I'm so sorry. The things that come out of my mouth sometimes. I always try to keep people like you in mind, young Ethan. Frank, I I write myself notes, handwritten and otherwise. Be good, be good, be Uncle Frank think about all the little Ethan's out there who need a role model. <laughs> and, uh, and, and sometimes I just, I lose control anyway. My 10 year old son is here with me. We watch your show almost every day. He doesn't believe that you could ever give him a shout out. So I just thought I'd try. God bless. Are you kidding me? Try and you shall receive. It's so great to have you both out there and, uh, and cheers to both. Janet and little Ethan well not so little anymore 10 I mean that's it There's no going back. There's no more single digits. It's only double digits and God bless you if you make it to triple so Good to hear from you. I hope you guys stick around and email anytime Ethan you ever need any advice or whatever obviously you have your parents you have your uh, your family your friends, but I should do a little bit of like a dear Abby dear frankly I should do a dear, frankly, bit. I I, I did that in the past, and, and in fact, that is what the, in many respects, that is what the mailbag, the ten dollar a month mailbag tiers across Patreon and Subscribestar were are really all about. Mailbag, getting questions in. Now, I always go on there periodically, and tell people if you're at the ten dollar, um, the ten dollar mailbag tier, please submit, uh, submit questions to the show. Topics, advice. I love giving uh I love giving advice for especially to hypothetical situations. Give me hypothetical situations. I wanna I wanna work my way through it. A lot of fun. A lot of fun doing that. Alright, let's get on over to To Rumble. Nine two five Wild G says there are many time zones now. God can't have the Garden of Eden in a separate time standard. No, I don't know. Yeah, you're you're right. If the earth is expanding, then at one point, everything was in one time zone. And I can see how that made it a lot easier for God. And now you have like, how many time zones? 30? Jay Senmo says, another great show. Thanks, Frank. Well, thank you. Larkstar says, Frank, I got the hardback of this book when you retweeted it. So glad that I did. I love this conversation. And some may, uh, some say maybe a good choice for the book club. You're the best. Host on Nightly. Well, thank you. Thank you. Much love. Let's take a call. 360, you're on the air. Who's this?
1: This is Allison in Idaho. Hey,
0: what's going on, Allison?
1: Well, I've been watching you forever, and I love this EBS comment and the whole commentary in general. I was at a restaurant today after I'd had my hair done and notified everybody that this was a... A huge deal in the conspiracy world. Yeah. And I kind of got laughing about it because the, the waiter disappeared behind the back, really nice restaurant. And the time hits, and all these phones go off, and all of these boomers are just perplexed. And everyone in the wait staff is in the back cheering.
0: <laughs> cheering?
1: I just got such a hoot out of it.
0: You know, it's funny because for as many, I love that you bring this up because when you think about it, for as many people that we know, who are digging into what this may trigger and what this may be all be about. <laughs> How is it gonna be used going forward? Obviously, we don't trust anything that the government puts together, they, they you know. So so we're thinking about it that way, but the vast majority of people were taken so by surprise today and we're wondering, oh, what, yeah. what the hell is this? And then they squirreled it away. <laughs> And, and and it's just a weird thing that happened to them today. You know, it's it is. Uh, yeah. I, I, we were probably some of the only people on the planet who are sitting there with bated breath, counting down to two o'clock.
1: <laughs> well, based on the sound in the back of this restaurant, we were not the few. Okay, there were many, many people that were in on it. So, <laughs> yeah, they're
0: waking up. I, I want to know. I want to know about what was going on in that. Uh, the, you said it was in the kitchen.
1: Yeah, well, the kitchen and the waitstaff, you know, they kind of have the the area where they make up napkins. Yeah, we were very close to the kitchen and the waitstaff. And it was like night and day. We're looking at a group of more elderly, uh, you know, upper class. It's downtown. And all of a sudden, all these people, these older people, are pulling up their phones and looking terrified. (laughs) And we could just hear the cheers. I mean, they... And when our waiter came out, I said, that was amazing. Oh, man. Obviously a conspiracy theorist, too, but boy, did we have a laugh over it. Well, you see, I want
0: to, you know, it's crazy right now. I want to, I want to know who the waiter is. I want to know who the waiter is. I want to talk to the waiter and ask about what, what the, what the whole staff had been preparing for and, and what they thought (laughs) about. I want to know what the hell the staff was talking about in that back room now. You know, if, if I hear yes, me if, too. if 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 you're out there with everybody, all the the older crowd who's completely taken uh, you know, taken by surprise and they're a little bit uh, you know, off put by their ringing phones constantly and then you have this <laughs> wait staff that is cheering wildly. I want to be in I for I, even if I don't know what the hell's going on, I want to be in that room. I want to be with the wait staff. Oh, yeah. That's great. Well, they thanks.
1: probably thought that Trump had taken over the white
0: <laughs> Oh yeah. Yeah, can you imagine that? They say, "Well, it's a Republican
1: state." The emergency, <laughs>
0: the emergency broadcast system is going to be testing its, uh, its new technology for text message and everything else at two p.m. today. We're like, "All right," and the text message that gets out is that Trump has been reinstated and the military is. It's like, oh, fully listen. I, I would have had to tell. I would have had to call Will. Oh, listen! If that happened,
1: debt clock crisis.
0: (laughs) If that happened at two p.m. today, the first person I would have to call up is Will from Incredible History, and say, "Will, we're (laughs) we're going to have to find you another date because there's not (laughs) there's nothing else I'm talking about. Nothing
1: you say is ever going to matter again. Everything is over.
0: (laughs) Let's. You know what, Will? I got another date for you in November. How's that sound? Anyway, well, thanks for the call. This was great.
1: Yeah, great talking to you. Take care.
0: All right, there you go. Idaho. Idaho in <laughs> the. That, that would have been great. Oh, but, uh, but I can dream, can't I? Oh, my please put me in charge of the emergency broadcast system text message. Put me in charge of the text message that can get sent out, please please no one deserves that kind of power so why not me you know it's not that's not appropriate for anybody to have control of so why not me let's take a call from hot legs what's going on hot legs
1: i just want to tell you what i did with my phone today so you can never think of me the same way again
0: okay go ahead <laughs>
1: I wrapped it in about a foot tall of aluminum foil and put it in my old refrigerator for an hour.
0: <laughs> when you say wait, wait, when you say a foot tall, are you talking about wrapping it over and over until there's like a a, a yeah. foot a, a, a
1: foot? Not, no, I'm kidding. Maybe about like four or five wraps. Okay, yeah, I was just like, screw it. Who's going to care? But I have to tell you.
0: Okay, so it, it you went you went aluminum foil and it went into the refrigerator or into the m- microwave? An old refrigerator. Okay. That works as well as the microwave.
1: Ha- I don't have a Faraday. Yes, it works just as well.
0: Okay, I didn't know that. I thought that the microwave was like the the makeshift Faraday, but the the refrigerator works just as well. Okay, sounds good. Bye. <laughs> okay, thank you. Yes. Well, you know that's good. That's good. That's good to know because at least I know that if something like really if we got to get into something, you know, like how in uh, that, oh my God, Indiana Jones four. When uh, Harrison Ford gets into the old Frigidaire lead uh, refrigerator, and that's how he survives the nuclear explosion at the bomb, the, uh, the nuke town in, in the, the desert out there. He actually survive. Listen, I'm a big Indiana Jones fan. I don't remember that much about, about the, the, fourth, the fourth movie because it was just so, ugh, this is, oh man. But that's one of those moments where that's the beginning of the movie, okay? He, he finds himself in a nuke town, in, in, a, in a town where you're, you're, you're going to blow away structures just to be able to see what the effect of the bomb is on those structures. He finds himself in a nuke town. He puts himself into an old Frigidaire uh, refrigerator, and he gets blown, you know, a couple hundred yards away, but he, he, he stays shut, and he's okay. I'm just oh man is this really what the whole movie is going to be? I mean, you can't start a movie off like that and have it be good. Just like it was over when um when I I was already feeling uh sick in my sick to my stomach in The Last Jedi. Uh episode 8. You know, episode 7, I know it was a little it was a you know carbon copy you can tell that there's the fan service and but there was uh, there was opportunity for disney to do something with what they built in in episode seven but episode eight it was starting off not good not good and then uh and then princess leia pulls a a, flies through space like mary poppins and i we we all looked at each other And we started laughing. And that was it. Star Wars died. Dead. Dead on arrival. Why do I say this? Well, I don't know. Hot legs brought up refrigerators. And I started thinking about how I can... I'll stuff my whole family into a refrigerator if a bomb goes off. That's really what it comes down to. Everybody get in. Everybody get in quick. All right, that's all. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. It's been great to have you along for the ride. And tomorrow is Thursday. We, we have Kim Russo on. We're going to be doing another deep dive, this time into the, the world of a psychic medium, what she does every day, where the world is going, how she sees anything. I want to talk about that kind of foresight, that clairvoyance. So, um, so that's what we have. The Sentinel, two more things over here. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, three more things. Hello Kitty says, hey, Amber Alerts are the state. At 220 today I received three amber alerts from Atlanta with different descriptions of cars, license plate and child descriptions etc. Oh okay. Well, okay. That makes sense. So that was just happening by you. I haven't had an amber alert in a while. But I underst- I, I okay, I get what you're saying now. Th- that's not FEMA though. I'm pretty sure that's not FEMA. The Sentinel from Theta says great show Frank. Oh, poor Theta. Loved your guest Will, a fellow Jay Hawker. Remember, sometimes a test of the EBS is just a test. Have a great week, and I miss Theta. It was a nice place. Did they shut it all down yet? I kind of jumped off because I didn't want to be there for the day that they shut it down because it was really sad, but anyway. Jay Britz, another wonderful contribution to the show, says, Frank, I have been hearing the name Stostube since I started following. Uh, Here is a tribute to Stostube. He's the real deal. He is. He is, and I never take people like Stovestube, and there's many out there who, who keep the show running and, and uh, subscribe monthly, and they, they, they send tips, and they send uh, wonderful greetings and, and, and so much support. This is how the new media is going to grow, and um, I never take them for granted. It only humbles me, and um, it, it, sometimes it's really stressful because I just want to get better. Always perfectionism. And it's driven by the people I, I, I feel indebted to. And that's why I always say, please, ladies and gentlemen, become a sponsor. Become, become a sponsor because my gratitude only grows. Uh, that's it for tonight. I'll see you tomorrow, 7 o'clock. Should be another good time. And I can't wait to have every last one of you here. Remember, on quite Frankly. TV, we have Rabbit Hole Wednesdays about to kick off. That is going to feature a lot of Will's work, incredible history, things that you've heard just tonight you'll be able to uh, get expanded on. And, and it's pretty much a glimpse into chapter. They are actual chapters of the book being brought to life, and he's laying it all out there for you guys and gals in uh, In the case that the book is not something that you can buy right now. But I would put it on your, your uh, Christmas wish list for somebody, somebody that you know would appreciate it. Tis the season after all. Anyway, tomorrow's another day. Thank you so much for tonight.
1: I'll catch you on the flip side.
0: Quite frankly, is filmed before a live studio audience. Now, our super chatter, starting with Jay Britz, The Sentinel, Hello Kitty, Jay Britz, KT Sky, Adam W, Stostube, Jay Dietrich, and Hello Kitty, and Smitty. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Larkstar. Thank you to Jay Semo. Thank you to Wild G. There's many of you out there who uh, support the show in multitudes of ways every day. Thank you for being out there. Even if you're just sending really nice uh, feedback and emails, be a part of the experience. That's what makes it roll. See you soon. And, uh, And again, shout out to Janet and little Ethan Valentino Brown. Until tomorrow, guys.
1: Happy birthday, Billy.